Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. Ooh, I've fallen in love with this church real quick. It's amazing. I feel very at home here and it's, I've just really been blessed. So um, it's, I, I can go back to America and tell people that God's spirit is alive and well in Christ Church. Okay? They will, I will tell them that because you definitely feel the anointing of God here. Amen. Um, I really, I wasn't quite sure where to start tonight. And I'm going to start in kind of an unusual place before we take our questions and answers. And the reason I wanted to do questions and answers tonight, even though it's a real scary thing sometimes, because you never know what kind of questions you're going to get. Um, but a lot of times we get preached at in church, we get talked to, you know, or not talked to, but taught and and sometimes it's just good to talk, you know, to just have a talk. And I felt like tonight was supposed to just be about having a talk. But before we were up in the green room, I had done a, I'm so excited for the youth because they are doing this thing called the uncomfortable blog. And so I got to get an interview with them and that was really awesome. But when I went into the green room, we were just kind of praying for the service and I really felt like the Spirit of God said to share this testimony tonight, okay? Um, and I'll, I'll, we'll share a couple pictures in just a, a bit. And, um, you know, God does unusual things sometimes to us and he had us in Daytona Beach, and he he had us plant our church. Now, we came out of the business realm. One of the things, we're business consultants, and we know location, location, location. Well, God's location, location, location looks a little different sometimes. So he planted us. Our first church was in one of the worst areas in Daytona Beach, in the heart of Daytona. And there was prostitution, drugs, crack houses, you name it, and it's not where you would have picked to have the ch a church, but God opened up a building, and we knew he wanted us there. Um, if we would plant a, a tree, they would steal the tree. We would put down sod, they would steal the sod. I knew I was getting in trouble when one night I was laying in bed thinking, how could I booby trap that new palm tree without maiming somebody but scaring them really bad? And I'm like... What is going on? So it was kind of a war zone. But we lived outside in a really nice neighborhood, and we would come into that area. And then at one point, and we thought originally it was going to be a transition house for men. There was a very large home. It was actually like 11 bedrooms, 8 baths, in really deteriorated condition, kind of right on the edge of this place. And God said, I want you to move there. Okay, he, a lot of things happened to make that, but we moved into that house, and it was still like a war zone, okay? And so, and it was one on one of the main arteries of our city, and then another cut-through road. So most of the men coming in for work would come in through those streets. So we had one of... This house was on the corner of one of the busiest prostitution corners in our city, Okay. And so when I moved in, now, I don't recommend this unless you get the unction of the Lord, okay? But when I moved in, I was really praying because I've got my grandkids coming around, and God said, take this territory. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, what do I do? Well, I had a bullhorn left over from a, actually a motorcycle event, and so I felt like I was supposed to get that bullhorn, and I did. And I went 
to war related to that, okay? So I would get on my bullhorn, because they'd be prostituting on the corner, and especially in the mornings and evenings when guys were coming and going to work, and I would get on my bullhorn and say, this is a no-prostitution zone. Now, all of Florida is a no-prostitution zone, but I'd say, remove yourself from the area. The police will be called, okay? And so I would get after, and then all of us intercessors would be out on those corners pouring oil on the corner and praying for them and everything, and we just went to war spiritually and naturally. I even had my, my graphic artist, the day I came in and said, here, I want a picture of a lady doing this and then a big X over it, with no prostitution zone. I remember him saying, you want what? <laughs> but I had posters, and I put them on the telephone poles. I put them on the, you know, all trees, everything. This is a no prostitution zone, okay? Unbeknownst to me, one of, the, one of them on the corner, there was actually what they call a trap house not too far away from us, and she was what they call the bottom, which means she's the one who runs all the girls, and she was one of the girls on the street, okay? And so, again, we began to make progress, take ter territory, and, you know, uh, prostitution just kind of went down to nothing. Um, we also had a sex house right across the street where they would come in and have swingers and all this stuff and ended eventually getting that closed down. And so it was a real spiritual and physical fight. I mean, literally, I have stopped, blocked cars with my cars. And just so you know, it was like the spirit of might. God's spirit of might would come over me. And I would be stopping and saying, prostitute would be getting in the car. And I'd be, you get out of that car. Get out of that car. And they'd be looking, going, no. I'm like, you get out of that car. And then pretty soon they would get out of the car, okay? And the John would drive away. And like I said, I don't recommend, my husband sometimes, my husband is a prince of peace. I am a man of war. Okay, and so my husband would be like, you're, you're going to get yourself killed or something, you know, you're going to, but I'd say, you know, it just, honey, it just comes over me, you know, I don't really, it would just rise up. So anyhow, um, a while later, okay, it was probably maybe about six years later, it was my fear, first fierce conference that I did. I had done women's meetings a long time ago, and I had really, and then God started talking to me and about doing fierce conference, and I said, okay, that I can do now, Lord. And so I was doing my first one, and um, I had an interesting thing happen because at lunchtime on Saturday, I was with all my guest speakers out to lunch, and about in the middle of lunch, the Lord says, you know, you never really talked to, I had vendors where they had their businesses and ministries and things in this exposition place. And said, you never really had time yet to really greet everybody. You need to leave early and go over there. And I felt an urgency. I literally told my, my assistant, I said, here's the credit card. You take care of them. I've got to go. So I get, I get there and I'm going around and I'm meeting and greeting. Okay. And, um, few people there and I get to this one table and I'm reading this poster about radical restoration ministries and it sounds just like really a neat ministry and right as I'm reading it this beautiful blonde tall beautiful blonde walks in and she walks up to me and she says do you remember me and I said because again I've been in ministry and then I had my motorcycle business and I said 
ministry or motorcycles? And she looked and she said, no, neither one of those. Now, the picture that I said to do first, because she pulled out her phone and said, do you remember her? Do you see that picture right there? And I said, um, I, I think so. And she said, you're the lady with the bullhorn, aren't you? And I said, yep. And I said, you're the lady on my corner. And she said, yeah. Now, I'm going to show you in just a minute a picture of her. Well, from that corner, she ended up in prison. And by that time, she was a 46-time felon, okay? And again, we had, we had prayed, we anointed. I kept saying, God, send your apprehending power to these women. And so what happened was she ended up, she went to prison. Can you show me the next slide? And that was her in prison after she got in a fight and then had her nose broken, beat up, and then was put in solitary confinement, okay? And in solitary confinement, guess who she met? Jesus. And Jesus began to touch her life and began to heal her, okay? Now, what her part of the story was, she had come to that meeting. Someone had invited her, and because it was a fierce conference, she decided to come. And so she had been in the back that evening with some of her girls because she had a program for women, guess what, coming out of prison. And I got up because I was hosting it, started talking, and she's sitting there, and she thinks, I think I know that lady, but I don't like her. I don't like it. I know that voice. And all of a sudden, she realizes that's the lady with the bullhorn, okay? And so she is really upset. She's like, God, you set me up. God tells her, I want you to go tell her what I've done in your life. She's like, no, I'm not talking to her. She didn't, even, she didn't really want to even come back the next day. And that night, she said she wrestled all night with God. And so she finally made a deal. And she said, God, if she comes up to me, I'll tell her. So God got me up from lunch, positioned me at her table when she walked in the door. She had no choice, okay? And so she came over, and, and again, I want to show you the picture of what Dawn looks like right now. That's what God can do. That's what the glory of God looks like on a person. So that... That's who God saw when she was on my corner. That's who God saw. Okay? And, and I wanted to share her story a little bit because Dawn's story was she, got, she was started being sexually abused when she was very young. And then she ended up sexually promiscuous from the age of 13. She ended up, uh, she was such a drug addict by the end of her, of her life. She would go into digging veterinarians garbages and get needles and shoot up and she started off because see sin is always a slippery slope she got married very young her first husband was killed in a car accident by the end of it she was married like nine times because she would also marry guys so they could get her green card she started off high level she was um she had a number of what you call sugar daddies in town very wealthy businessmen who would keep her so she started off very high level. She was one time the girlfriend of the head of the Cuban cartel and ran drugs from Miami all the way up um, into other southeast states. Okay, but you know what? 
addiction begins to take a toll and pretty soon her looks start fading, pretty soon things happening and then she's dancing in strip clubs, okay? And we had a serial killer in our town and um, he, he killed prostitutes and he had killed I think about six girls and they hadn't caught him yet. And so one of our biker events actually, she was in a club dancing and went home after work and this, this guy, this serial killer had fo followed her. And he, he, he had brutally, I mean, raped her. She broke her jaw, fractured all kinds of parts of her body. I mean, nearly beat her to death. And she said at one point she just knew. And she had gone to church as a little girl. And she said at one point I just called out Jesus. And what happened was this guy who... If left any longer, he would have killed her. This guy ends up looking at her, vomits all over her, and runs up and says, I'm so sorry, and runs out the door. Just by her calling out Jesus. Okay? And so later she was able, but by this time, her teeth are knocked out. She's even more broken. And that's how, and then her drug addiction even got worse. And that's how she ended up on my corner. Okay. And so I, I want to share this because there is a path of redemption for anybody, no matter how bad your story might be. Okay. No matter what you've gone through. And you know, want to know what one of the amazing things is? Dawn is the woman who opened death row in Florida for me. I'm able to minister on death row in Florida because of her. Because God, 46-time felons don't get back in the, the prison to minister. But God told her she was going to go back in and minister in the prison. And God set it up because she was also, when she came out, she started a program, but she would work cutting hair. She would have been a hairdresser. She worked cutting hair. And she'd cut this one guy's hair for about two years. And then one day God said, Donna, I want you to write your prison chaplain a letter telling her thank you and giving some of your testimony what you're doing. So she did. It was such a good letter. Her chaplain sent it to all the chaplains around the state of Florida. And guess what happened? The head of the prison chaplains got that letter. And he starts reading it and he says, I know that girl. She's been cutting my hair for two years. And she's the real deal. Give her a PIN number and let her in the prison. So she's bought Bible school into the prison. She has a home for women in Florida and now in Texas. And her and I go to prisons all over the place and minister together. Amen? So we've got to know. I want you to just, yes, give the Lord, give the Lord praise. But I want you to, I want you to show, show those pictures again. Okay, this is on the cover of her book. If you want to get her book, it's called um, Radical Restoration, the Don Knighton story. It, you can get it on Amazon Kindle. But that was what she looked at on, on corner. And you know what she told me one day? She said, you know, I always had a Glock in the back of my pants, okay? And she said, I, sometimes I didn't know why I just didn't shoot you. And I said, honey, you had a Glock, but I had a sword, okay? You had that. that. And, and that was her in prison. 
and, and this is her today. And she's beautiful, and she's touching lives everywhere. And you know, want to know one of the first places overseas. Now, she shouldn't have been even, even been able to get a passport. God, God opened up that door. The first, she was dating the head of the Cuban cartel. You want to know the first country God sent her to? Cuba. Okay. Cuba. So God has a redemption plan. And I felt like I needed to share this because sometimes you can say, well, I don't know. But you know what? God began to heal her. God began to set her free. And a, a year ago last Christmas, we ended up marrying her and her husband now, which is another amazing story because this young man was sentenced in his 20s with five 99-year sentences, okay? And there wasn't murder. It wasn't rape. It was burglary stuff, a harsh sentence. But God ended up, he was in solitary confinement for 13 years. And God ended up saving him again, met him, saved him. He had a praying family. And he ended up getting, he was the head of... Uh, the major gang in the prisons in Texas. And from getting saved, he went to a gang rehabilitation program and, and just began to get more and more on fire for the Lord. And he was paroled on the five 99-year sentences. But he had had some other charges, so they still had like five years because he had guard assault. He's like, he's like six, eight, big guy. He would snap cuffs and attack guards. That's how he ended up in solitary. And so he ended up having a few more years he had to do because of those extra counts. And you know where he did it? He did it in, in, in prison, but he was in the Bethel School of Ministry because Bethel got their ministry into that prison. Amen? And so when he came out, him and Don met, at a, a function for um, prison. And then we had an opportunity because they were going to be getting married to do restoring the foundations with him because we'd already done it with Dawn. And now she said, if I went through it, I want, I want him to go through it. So we did that. And during it at one place, one of his spirit soul hurts was when he, the judge sentenced him that harsh sentence. And so during it, again, he forgave that judge, and he asked the Lord to, to just come into that memory and bring healing. And he saw the Lord sitting on that judge seat. And he really, one of the things Don always says is, you know, sometimes God puts his treasure in treasure boxes. And that's what she calls prison and jail. Sometimes to save a life, God will, will put someone in a place to protect them. And here's what happened. I got to tell you this one other part of it. Here's what happened. The week after he went, they went back to Texas after the ministry, he was in his church, his local church, small local church, and there's this guy speaking, and he does the same thing. I think I know that guy. <laughs> it was the judge who sentenced him. And he had just had the experience of really going down to deep, deep healing, forgiving him. And now him and that judge travel and minister in men's prison all over the place. Amen. 
So I'm not sure who needs hope today. You may need hope for a child incarcerated. You may, may need hope for a grandchild who's on drugs. You may need hope for your own restoration because I'm telling you, God has restored her and she's taken back her sexuality and, and, and so many things happened to her. I can't even tell you how much trauma and abuse and beatings and you name it she went through it and guess what they have a happy marriage guess what they have a good sex life guess what there's nothing that God can't redeem there's nothing that God can't heal okay amen so I just wanted to share that story and again my message related to sexuality, I'll make it a little bit brief here, is number one, the church has to start talking about it. The church has to take back the message. Everywhere where we leave the void, enemy fills it. Parents, you need to start talking to your kids. And you need to start talking to them younger than what you think because they're exposed to a lot of things. Now, I would encourage you to listen to the, the um, tapes or get to however it's going to get out. Listen to it. I don't have time to do all that. But it's also a message of hope because we can't give hope to people for something that we can't even preach a message of faith about. We've got to be able to preach a message of faith. We've got to be able to give testimonies to build faith so people can get healed. Okay? And if we don't talk about it, if it's taboo, how do we release hope? How do we release faith? How do we release the anointing to touch these areas? I mean, we're great. We'll heal backs all day long. We'll pray for cancer, heart, you name it, headaches. But God forbid, what happens to a sexual abuse victim? What happens to someone who has been raped? What happens to someone who was molested? What happens to someone who got, was sexually addiction, addicted from the time they were 10 or 11? Where's our message of hope for them? Where's our message of faith for them? No, you keep that, hide it in the closet, and be ashamed of it. And that's not our Jesus. Amen? He's not going to say, you know, one of the most important areas of your life, you messed it up, it's broken, live with it. Try to figure it out on your own. No. We have got to be a people who can bring understanding. The other thing I always say, we don't have to be ignorant to be spiritual. We do not have to be ignorant. We can understand how our body works. We can understand how our mind works. We do not have to be ignorant to be spiritual. Amen. And so understanding some things never hurt. Do you know sometimes I have women who come to me. I'm an older woman and no mom ever talked to them. No. And they'll sit down. They might be in their 40s and, and they still don't understand how their body works. They don't understand really what happens in their body to create an orgasm. They don't know how it works. Okay? Because nobody ever talked to them and then they never explored it. Okay? So we've got to help educate and we've got to take that message back okay so we gave a whole lot of information but tonight I felt like we needed to talk some so Catherine will you come up with me one of the things that I talk about a lot is covenant sexuality God created us that way one of the main areas is that a lot of people don't have understanding is is in sexual imprinting 
And that is, because we were created for covenant, our first time sexual imprinting makes an impact to us and creates a desire for us to go back to that thing. And sometimes it can be expressed in very different ways. And it's not always the first time we had sex. Sometimes it can be seeing, you know, uh, pictures that we shouldn't see. Sometimes it can be masturbation. Sometimes it can be um, a lot of things. We can have shame and um, trauma and from abuse imprinted into our sexuality. And so a lot of things get imprinted there. And we've got to be able to that God, believe that God can cleanse them and God can heal them. Okay. And, and again, do I believe sometimes deliverance is important? Yes, but it's not the, if it was the only answer, everybody be already delivered, okay? Because there's a little more to it. Do we need that? Yes. I always say so many times the church is looking for the one thing. And most things aren't one thing. Most things are like this. And you got to begin to take that apart to get someone free. Amen? Okay, come on, Catherine. And Catherine's going to help me too. So um, the first question is, how do we discern what is imprinting and what okay. isn't? So we know what we should read into it and what we shouldn't read into. Um, well, one of the things related to imprinting is you can pretty much guess at that first time. And if you don't know, the Lord's really good at showing you. The Holy Spirit knows exactly. And the Lord can show you what it really was. And so he can show you that. So you can sort it out by, okay, Lord, what was that first time? And also, what has been that thing that has kind of drawn me back? I know many people who have, um, like, question marks. I've had women. They're married, everything. But their sexuality still has a little question mark in it. Because why? When they were uh, with their cousins and they were younger, and they would practice kissing on each other, okay? Because they wanted to practice kissing. What happened? There's a little bit of an imprinting there. And so there's a question mark on their sexuality. They're not really acting that out. But sometimes they wonder, is there something really wrong with me because of that, because of what happened? And so, again, God wants to go back and cleanse that. So, again, two major places of imprinting is that first-time imprinting is so important, and then repetitive imprinting is also powerful. Um, so, um, and, and like I said, we have a Holy Spirit that brings us all into all truth, and so if we're wondering, he's pretty good at saying, no, that's not it. This was it. Okay? Awesome. Um, now, we've got a number of uh, questions on the topic of masturbation. Yes. Uh, and so, uh, I'll read this one. Um, if masturbation is love turned in on ourselves, is there any good use of it, or is it always a substandard choice? Um, here, here's why I would say it's a substandard choice, okay? Um, one, of, one of the things I always do is I say, okay, look at the, look at the shame indicator, because, you know, God built that in us. And I always say, you know, as a, as a couple, uh, I could get up in church, my husband could get up in church and say, you know, we had, we had sex last night. We, we could share that. And there would be no, no shame because we're, we're supposed to do that, right? Okay? But if I had to get up to the church and say, oh, I masturbated last night, that wouldn't feel so good. 
So that shame indicator, okay, and that would be the reason why most people don't talk about it. No, most people don't want anyone to know. Most people do it in hidden places. Husbands and wives will do it hidden from each other. Why? Because that's a good indicator of shame, which is a good indicator, probably not the best idea, okay? The other thing that you find, one of it is just physiological statistics is, especially with men, um, and, and it affects women too. Most of the time, masturbation, when it starts, especially when it's young, is about, let me hurry up and get this done because um, mom might come to the room or my sisters are knocking and I'm in the shower or whatever it is. And so it creates usually premature ejaculation, sometimes total erectile dysfunction, and um, even impotency. That's not the best plan, okay? Because... If, if you're doing it, the, the, a, a woman's vagina is different than your hand, okay? It doesn't have the same physical strength. It's going to feel different. And so if you are imprinted with that, it, it's, it's not going to feel the same, okay? And so, and also, here's what happens with couples. If you have couples and either both or one of them are taking care of themselves sexually, you know what? My husband and I, it's like you and you, we're the only sexual answer for the rest of our lives, okay? And so if that's the case, we have to be nice to each other. He has to be nice to me because he has no other answer but me, okay? And so many times in marriages, couples where masturbation is, they can get mad at each other, be mad for a week, not talk for a week, what, whatever, two weeks. They can just have these stalemates. Why? Because they're getting sexual, they're getting their dopamine over, over here in the bathroom or on the, at the park on the way home from work, okay? And so that is another reason why it's not really a good idea. Okay, so there's a number of reasons it's not the best answer, but I promise you, it's messed up a lot of marriages, okay? And it's created a lot of shame. And there's a better way. And now, and I know one of the uh, justifications and the un ungodly beliefs is, but you don't understand, you're not a man, I will blow up and die. I have searched. I've done research. There is no documented man anywhere yet that has blown up and fell into bits because they needed a sexual release that they didn't get. God designed your bodies to work that all out, okay? There is no documented. And also the same thing with women. A lot more women masturbate than men think, okay? I know a lot of women have come to me, come with marital issues and say, well, really, I don't want to have sex with him, but I do masturbate because I need some kind of release, you know? And um, it's not healthy. It just doesn't work. God designed us for covenant sexuality. A man and a woman in covenant. Okay? Did that answer it? Okay. Awesome. So we're getting down to some real nitty-gritty here. What's, <laughs> what's your view on oral sex? Oral sex. Here's my view. Um, and let, let me explain that. The Bible is not really explicit on that. I am very much a person that I'm not going to just put my convictions or different things. I will tell you this. If anyone in that marriage bed feels uncomfortable, 
it's sin, okay? If anyone has a conviction in the marriage bed, it's not something that you should force on somebody. And, um, and I find sometimes as God, the other thing is, if one of the parties has come out of a homosexual relationship and there's been homosexual imprinting and you continue the oral things that were probably done and used in that relationship, it's highly dangerous, okay? So I'm not going to put that as just like sin and you're going to hell sort of thing on it. But the Bible says the marriage bed is sanctified, but I think that is something really that needs to be between a husband and a wife, and there has to be, again, agreement. It's not shouldn't be something forced, and it should no way take the place of other good, healthy sexual intercourse. Okay, um, I'm going to just do an a little aside. It's very interesting that you find in relationships, okay, uh, related to even sexual positioning, okay. It's um, very interesting that the Lord, kind of the standard se sexual position, and I'm not saying that if you don't experiment with something that that's bad and terrible, but it's interesting because it's really a picture of the relationship. Because in animals, w when they submit, like a dog submits to another dog, what do they do? Belly goes up, right? Okay. So normally in a sexual position, a woman will be back and she will be submitted, right? And then the man will be on top, and what is he doing? He's, he's covering her, okay? And that's kind of the picture of our spiritual positioning. You find, I find sometimes, I have sometimes, I've, like I said, I can talk really freely about this because I've heard a lot of stuff and talked about a lot of stuff. But in marriages where the man always wants the woman on top, usually... It's he's very passive in the relationship and she's very can be kind of controlling the relationship. And so especially um, if it's like, again, predominantly, I'm not saying that here and there. I'm not I'm not going to put those kind of things. But if it's predominantly, that's what, what you find. A lot of times is if there especially if there's oral sex and it's basically. Um, the woman giving the man oral sex, a lot of times you'll find a lot of selfishness in the relationship, okay? And then when there's sex um, from behind, I'm not necessarily saying sodomy, but uh, vaginal sex from behind, a lot of times there's not intimacy in that relationship. I've had some people that, again, the predominant majority of times they have sex, it is in that position. And there is no intimacy, there is no connection, there is no relationship. So you can even look at sexual positioning and look at the relationship. And so, like I said, I'm not saying you have to use one position all the time, but if it's predominantly one, you need to look at it and say, okay, why is that? What's going on in our relationship that that's the way it needs to be? And now if you're like swinging from chandelier, no, I'm not going to, no. <laughs> It's pretty hot up here. <laughs> yeah, whoa. Um, how are we all doing? Is everybody feeling all right? Yeah, okay. Uh, at what point do a man and woman become one flesh? Is it at the point of intercourse or is it sooner than that in the spirit? Um, I believe, here, here's the thing about covenant. Covenant is an interesting thing. Now, the Bible says, even when 
if you have sex with a harlot, you become one flesh with her. The Bible says that. I would say it, you are imprinted with her, okay? But it's a, it's a oneness that happens. So I believe that. But I also believe about covenant. I believe when wedding vows are cut, they are confessing covenant, okay? They are wanting to confess that covenant. But I also know that, that at times real covenant is made when push comes to a shove in that relationship and you finally do say, for better or for worse. For, and there's a covenant of the heart that comes. But I do believe that the Bible says when we have sex, we become, we become one flesh. There is something. It's, there's a spiritual dynamic. That's why it's so important how you treat that. Mm. That's mm-hmm. very good. Uh, you mentioned that progress of the teenage brain is stalled when there is addiction involved. Yes. And you mentioned that alcohol, drugs, porn are examples. Mm-hmm. However, the more addictions out there like work, exercise, food, computer games, coffee, will this also arrest development? Um, it may arrest development some, but not as much as some some of those other ones. They're not as toxic to the brain as some of the other ones, but it can still, and it also can, um, it inhibits relationship building, it inhibits maturity because it is so self-focused and narcissistic. All addictions are, are basically narcissistic. And when I mean narcissistic, it's all about me. You know, it's all about me. Um, I'm, I'm going to go shopping and I'm going to spend money and I'm going to run up those credit cards. I don't care how hard you have to work. I don't care what you would really like to do, but I'm going to go do it because every time I find something and buy it, I get dopamine. Okay. So it is hurt, but it's not as bad as the alcohol and the drugs and the porn. Dopamine. Explain dopamine. Dopamine is released in our brain. It's a part of the reward center in our brain. Dopamine is under all addiction. I don't care if it's food, sex, heroin, alcohol, dopamine is it. If your 10-year-old son or 11-year-old daughter is looking at porn, that is like them taking a hit of crack or heroin to their brains. That's what's happening. That's, that's the amount of dopamine that's being released. So it is highly addictive. Highly addictive. Can you talk about attachment injuries or trauma from childhood abandonment? Okay. Um, I think there's a lot to discuss with that. But it's quite a big topic. It's quite it? a big topic. But again... One of the scriptures I stand on is that when your mother and father forsake you, God will never leave you. And so, again, it's hard when you have been abandoned. You have a, sometimes inability to attach to other people, to um, even to the Lord himself. So God has to go back and do a, a great a healing. And it's also something when we are abandoned, it's traumatic. We talked this weekend about how you process trauma and to talk that out and help that move. So you really need some deep inner healing a lot of times. But um, but again, I've, I've said this week, I'm, I'll say again, you know, Dawn looks like Dawn. Dawn's doing what Dawn's doing because she 
met a healing Jesus and she pressed into her healing at every level that we do have to t have, take responsibility. We can't just say, well, my, I was abandoned because God hasn't abandoned you. Okay, I was abandoned and so I'm a mess and I'll just have to stay a mess and everybody around me has to put up with the mess. You know, that's not God. And I'm not saying that some people's healing journey, journeys are deeper and take longer. I'm not here to say, you know, you got to get better in a week or, you know. One of the things, you know, Jesus never said, he never did it this way. He, he never said, look, you're, you're, you're lame, you're blind, you're crippled, follow me and keep up. Come on, what, what, why, are you, why are you behind? Keep up. But the church does that a lot. We don't get people fully healed and set free and walking out their spirituality, but we're telling them, keep up. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you keeping up? Even in praise and worship, I promise you, you get someone really healed, they'll worship. I'm a worship. I've been, I've, I've been saved now since, what, 1983, what's that, 35 years. And I have no less desire to worship the Lord now than I did back then because of the amazing things he's done in my life, of the healing and the restoration and all he's done. But we've got to help people come into that experience with the Lord. And when they do, you don't have to whip up people to worship and praise when they have met a healing Jesus, a loving Jesus, a restoring Jesus. They will praise. Amen? And it can't be just we. It's not just taught. It, 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 it is the anointing and the, the release of the Spirit of God to actually do those things. It's very good. Amen? Um, there's a question here. Do we have a list of Bible verses to focus on that could assist in healing? Well, I think if that was your question, mm -hmm. um, Kathy actually covered quite a lot of that mm -hmm. over the course of the weekend. So again, I'd, I'd encourage you to uh, have a wee listen of, of that. That's all going to be available. Um, is same-sex relationships nurture or nature? Um, I, I don't, I think it's a little bit of both, okay? I think that sometimes there's things in nature, um, they talk about in the womb, there's... Uh, part of the way a baby's brain develops is uh, a male's brain is flooded with testosterone, a woman's brain is flooded with estrogen, and sometimes if that doesn't work quite properly, it can affect. And I'm not saying again that God can't heal that, God can't write those things hormonally for us, but I also do believe things that I've seen a lot of um, um, same-sex things happen because of imprinting. Also, uh, another thing that can affect it is if there's not enough, and again, I'm not saying this is the only thing. Homosexuality is one of those things that there's a number of things that come together to cause it a lot of times. But if there's not of enough importation from that same-sex parent, we talked about that this morning, um, that can affect. Also, if there's an anti-revulsion, so if um, you have a woman that she's been raped, sexually abused by her father, three uncles, whatever, she hates men, but she still wants love and relationship, okay? And so is she going to gravitate a, a, away from men? Absolutely. And so now, again, can she be healed? I believe people can be healed. Um, a lot of people in prison who 
it, it's maybe never were in homosexual relationships, but they get in prison and then things happen and many of them come out um, because of that. So there's a number of things. The other thing related to homosexuality through emotional development is all children go through a stage where, you know, if Catherine and I were eight and nine, we would be like, we're best friends. And we'd say, no, I just, I love you so much. Do you want to come stay at my house? Oh, yes. yes. Come to my yes. house for dinner. <laughs> okay. And so we would do that, okay? Boys, you know, hug each other when they see each other. You know, they sleep over at each other's house. And they're very connected to the same sex. And that's a part of development that we need to go through. And then we go through a stage then that that shifts to the opposite sex, okay? We're more attracted to the opposite sex. So sometimes if there's been emotional trauma, things happen that stops that development, they're emo they may have developed maybe mentally in areas or different things, but they end up stuck at that stage where they are more bonded to the same sex than the opposite sex, okay? And like I said, there's a number of different things, factors that can play into things. Um, but so I believe that some things is a little bit of both. Uh, I think I've got enough questions here to keep you for a month. I know, but <laughs> I also know we're getting late. Yeah, so. uh, one more question. Okay. Um, what do soul ties look like in regards to losing your virginity? And then it's through rape or any uh, yeah. other? Yeah, well, I, I believe that any time, you know, we've had um, sexual connection that is not God, that's not covenant, it's really good to go through a prayer to break ungodly soul ties. Because even though your soul didn't say, geez, I want to connect to you, there was still a connection. If you just became one, there's a connection. And so it's really good to go to the Lord, break on golly. I, I believe like even with addictions, if you've been addicted to drugs, go through a prayer that breaks all ungodly soul ties with drugs. Even food. You can have a soul tie with food. Okay, I had to do it with books. I talked about my reading addiction. I had to break all ungodly soul ties with books. Okay, it may sound strange, but you want to break ungodly soul ties. And um, it was interesting because I was leading, I think I shared this the other night, not sure, um, but it was really a word of knowledge. I was taking a, a couple, my husband and I were through restoring the foundations and we were going through the place where we break all ungodly soul ties and um, and he would, got to the place he was kind of thinking of anyone else and God kept saying to me, Miss April, Miss April. And so I finally took a chance, stepped out, and I said, you know, the Lord sang to me, Miss April. And, you know, that was the pinup he had in his locker, okay, was Miss April years ago, okay? So God knows every hair of that's on our head and every porno pornographic picture we've ever looked at, okay? He knows it. And so he... He was, you know, he had to break soul ties. So sometimes we've got to break soul ties with pornography. Sometimes that's a particular type. Many times, I shared early this morning, this is really shocking, but there are more children now, or not, from teenagers like 15 to 18 that are now viewing child porn. So if they're viewing child porn, then they're getting imprinted with that. What's going to happen as they get older and they act out their sexuality? I mean, it, it's scary. And so, um, yes, I believe we need to break ungodly soul ties, whether you were abused 
raped, um, date raped, whatever, whatever it is, break those ungodly soul ties. Amen. Okay, I think we probably need to wrap it up there. There's a number of questions sitting here and really apologize mm. if uh, you haven't had your question mm. answered. But I think a lot of them are uh, topics which have, have been covered over the course of the weekend. Yeah. If you want to go so, longer, I'll go longer. But I knew we said we were going to be done. Hmm? Uh, no, I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Okay. Yeah. Um, One more. Hmm, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> More questions. We'll do a couple more. How are you guys feeling? We're good? Some of you have been here all weekend. You're amazing. You're amazing, and you're still listening. Uh, what age should you not be naked in front of your children? Um, when, when really, you know, I would say once they get past that, like, three, four-year-old mark, you need to read Leviticus chapter 17, and it'll help give you the conviction that you really want to just guard them from kind of that period on because they're starting to get more aware and the more aware they are you want to just be careful of that um you know I believe if we if we err let's err on the side of protecting our kids and overexposing them okay uh, that's very good um the statistics you put up about the rising divorce rate within Christian marriages, why do you think that this is? Um, I think, number one, part of it, I'm really big on the process. We have absorbed the whole dating culture into the church. Um, and so when you teach young people to make commitment, break up, they practice divorce, make commitment, break up, make commitment, break up, make commitment, break up. I think that's uh, a part of it. And, um, and so we teach them how to practice that and we don't give them av other avenues to look at that relationship from another perspective. And I think it's very important, very healthy that young people have social time together, have connection together and all of that. But that overcommitted and then breaking up, I think it's practice for divorce. I think the church has embraced that whole culture. Um, again, I think a lot of times we're not really, uh, some of the stories I've heard of premarital counseling cuts down divorce by about 70% if it's good. And I've had the worst stories of uh, have couples having problems in their marriage talk about, well, did you have premarital counseling? Yes. We met with the pastor twice. Had one. This was an advice of a pastor to a young girl. He said, here, this is it. Every man wants a lady on, uh, uh, on the outside, but a whore in a bedroom. I would say that's an ungodly belief. Okay. I mean, I, that, that's just a classic. I have heard the worst marital advice sometimes. You've got to make sure you get good premarital advice. I think that cuts down a lot. And, and again, I think the church, a lot of times, we've just, we've surfaced done church. You know, every smiles come in, you're happy, you're good. Oh, you fought all week, you haven't had sex in six months, but I really don't want to know that. Because then I got to deal with it. And I think we've become a real surface church at times. And like this, I, you two, I can't even tell you how much I commend the two of you pastors. I, you, I, I've, I've been a pastor, okay? 
And to allow someone you don't even know, just through because you know somebody who knows someone, to come in your church, even share your pulpit, is amazing, okay? It's amazing. <laughs> then, when you allow them to come and talk about a subject of sexuality, and they don't know you, and they don't know what you're going to say, that's amazing on top of it. And then when I found out you just had another conference the weekend before, then that's like triple amazing. So I, the, you two, you need to give it up for your pastors. You need to give it up for them. They are, they are special people. And I bet they were holding your, their breath, though, you know, like right before. It's like, what did we agree to? The anointing came over us. We said yes, but what did we do, right? <laughs> but I think it was a very good decision on our part because I think it's a very, very important topic. And uh, I think all of you who have been here tonight and during the course of the weekend, uh, it's been helpful, right? Yeah, and I think I think these taboo topics in the church need to be talked about because if we're not talking about them in a healthy way, uh, well, there's plenty of other people talking about things in an unhealthy way. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I, I commend you because I think you're amazing. <laughs> you, you're absolutely amazing how you can sort of so... Uh, clearly speak about topics which can be very uncomfortable and embarrassing. Mm. Well, a lot of it I've had to, I've, I've, pract I've had to talk about a lot of days, okay? A lot of counseling, a lot of ministry, a lot of workshops, and you, 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 I didn't start off quite this good. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. Can we finish <laughs> with one? Because a few yes. people have asked this one. Um, how do I recognize my future spouse? Oh, I love this topic. I love this topic. <laughs> Woo! Oh, this is an amazing topic. And I could tell you story after story from my children to other people. But, you know, God is, he is able, when God is doing something, it's like, we'll pray about what car to drive. We'll pray, you know, wh you know where to go eat. We'll pray for a, a parking place. Lord, is that my parking place? You know, is it? And then when it comes to a spouse, we think, well, God can't handle that. I better figure this out, right? But, but God, by a witness of the Spirit, and even the witness around you, you know, we've had people where it's like, we're sorry, we just don't witness. And I can't put that switch myself. I'm not in control over it. God is the switch giver. And I always encourage people, if you're in the church, get a witness from your, your pastors. Get a witness from your youth pastor. Get a witness even from your parents. You know, even ungodly parents can have a witness if it's the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. You'll find a witness. You, when you have this, people jumping up and down saying, no, no, that's a good idea to, that you want to stop and hear that. I've done that with people and then see them trample right over that, end up in a bad marriage and a lot of times in divorce after. I, I've, I've got a story I've got to tell because this is my assistant and her husband. And they had both been through a lot in life and pretty young. And we were having a conference, okay? And she was going to be leading worship, and we brought in some other people from some different worship teams. And this guy, Bobby, she, I think she had seen him once at this other church, but no, nothing at all. And so, because sometimes you think, 
well, it'll take forever and blah, blah, blah. But when God wants to do something, this is how quick he can do it, okay? So he comes to this conference that, that she's leading worship. He's on the keyboard, different things. And um, that was a Friday night. I think it was Friday night. I had this little bit of something. And she also ended up having this deep ministry on the, on the, I mean, she's wailing on the floor. And she has a lady praying for him, but he feels drawn to just kind of stand and pray for her. And when she had stopped and looked up, she said, I knew he was my husband. She said, like, every cell in my body was vibrating. This is my husband. She's thinking, okay, what am I going to do with this? Okay. So the next morning, they ended up talking, and he said to her, he said, I normally wouldn't do this, but I've got to just tell you, when I was praying for you, when you were getting that major deliverance, I felt like God said, you're supposed to be my wife. And she said, well, every cell in my body was telling me, you're my husband. Okay. And they said, well, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to tell their pastors? So that the next session that evening, I'm sitting there and I'm, I've like already got a witness of this. Okay. And so she's down because he was leading that set. And so she was down by me. He was up there leading. And I said, I said, what do you think of that keyboard player? And she said, I think he's my husband. And I said, I think he is too. Okay. And the Lord, her past, his pastors were at the meeting and God was already talking to them. So before they, we all left that night, we had a meeting in, in, around the board table and said, look, we all have a witness of this. So let's, are you two ready to start a courtship process? They said yes. And so we started their courtship process, laid out guidelines. And again, did they get married in three months? No, they did it right. They went through courtship. They had an engagement time. They got married. Um, They've got two beautiful kids now, an amazing marriage. And so I've seen God do it like that. Amen. My husband and I, the way God did it was I was working for him. I was trying to find him a wife because I wanted to find a wife so we could keep working together and I didn't want her jealous, okay? My husband, unbeknownst to me, had picked out this guy, a Canadian guy that he thought would be good for me. And so he was out in Arizona and I found this woman and I called him and I said, I've got this lady, she's flying out to Arizona with me. I think you'll really like her. Okay, real classy lady. She's into real estate stuff. So he's like, okay, bring her out, you know, kind of thing. So that very weekend, he finds out the Canadian he's trying to get lined up for me is secretly engaged. So he had to cross that off the list. The lady that I was trying to bring out there got sick and couldn't come. Okay. So I get there and I see him and he says, well, what did you bring? I said, she got sick, couldn't come. And this is what happened. We had worked together for over a year and a half, probably a year and three quarters, never looked at each other, male, female at all. I was like this with men at the time, like, because all I wanted to do was make a lot of money, take care of my girls and I I went through some stuff. I didn't tell you all my stories, okay? But I was like this. And so 
we literally, we leave this meeting because we had some clients we had to discuss and I had to go back to Florida and he was staying there. And so he said, well, let's stop. I'm starved. Let's stop and get something to eat. We'll t you can go over your files then. Great. So we stop at a restaurant, which we've had business lunches or different things before. It wasn't that unusual. We stopped there and we end up in this little French restaurant. And I'm, and they got these little tables where you sit next to each other like this, okay? And there's like a couple big, and I'm like, can we have that table over there? And it, no, ma'am, it reserved, reserved. And so I'm like, could we go to a different restaurant? I can't even lay out my files here. And he's like, I've got, and I know this, he, he said, well, my blood sugar's low and I really need to eat. And so can we just eat here and then we'll go to the hotel and do it? Okay, so, and God raised a veil that night. Okay, he raised a veil, and um, it's been amazing. So when we first got married, um, at night we would go to bed, and he would say good night, angel, and I would say good night, sir. <laughs> and many times I'd call him sir when we were in public because I was just used to doing that. And he would have men come up to him, and he'd say, "How did you get your wife to call you sir?" You know, and he said, "I just paid paid her a real a, a whole bunch." Okay. So I'm telling you, and I, I always tell young people, here's the thing is, you're not going to experience what you experience when you know, because only when it happens. And so you try all these other things and you think, well, maybe that's it. No, when you know, when God lifts that veil, when God puts it, when God speaks, and he will confirm it and you will know it. It's, it's by his spirit and he can do it. He can do it, but don't try to fit something and make something that it's not supposed to be because there's a lot of things can look really good. We had, this is another example. We had um, a guy in our church and he, he, I mean, he was constantly coming with another woman and kind of like, what do you think about this one? So, you know, bring in another one, bring in another one. Okay. And be like, mm. And so finally, he was just done with it. And he, he came to us this one, one, one day, and he said, you know, I'm just, I'm content. If God doesn't ever bring me my wife, I'm, I'm just content. I said, okay. And then we said, both my husband and I at the same time said, but we feel like she's really close. Okay? She's, it's close. And so a lot of times when we get content, think God moves, okay? And so what happened is he was friends with this one couple in our church, and they had a friend come up from South Florida. And I was actually, again, because of that construction worker in me, I was actually, we were remodeling a house, and the fireplace needed to be redone, and I wasn't going to let anyone touch it to, but me. So I literally had my goggles on, and I was grinding paint off of this thing, and stuff was fine because I... They had painted this beautiful fireplace, and I had to re restore it. And so I remember I put my goggles up, and I saw their friend for the first time. And I thought, oh, my God. That, I said, oh, my God, I'm not supposed to say that in this country. Okay? We say that in America, and it's not a real bad thing there. But I did it. I made it the whole time, and then I said it. But that's what I said to myself that day. I said... That's Ed's wife, okay? And you know what? 
Within a short period of time, he asked her if he could email her. And the next thing you know, and you know what? They had a beautiful courtship. They, they never even kissed until, and they were both much older. Both had been divorced, never even kissed, except when, they were, when we were marrying them at the altar. And it was the first time they ever kissed. And the anointing fell like you would not believe. It was just amazing. Beautiful couple. So I could tell you story after story, but God has his ways and means committee, and he can, he can connect you with who you're supposed to be with, and he can bring a confirmation. He can bring a witness, and you will know it. He's big. I always say he's big. He's bigger than a billboard. Okay? He can let you know. Okay? Okay? Amen. I have loved it. I've enjoyed it. Y'all have been awesome. And so I just pray that you will carry on. Take this message of sexuality, of restoration, of God's grace. And, and I, I've just really felt so welcomed here. I really thank you.